Hi there. This is once again Stefan Salehio. As anybody who watched the first part of this episode know, uh, we did not know that this was going to be a two-part episode. So we kind of have a very awkward cut between this episode and the last one. So I guess I'll just use this very, very, very awkward lead-in to remind you that this is actually part two of our year-end list. For the first 51 picks of the year-end list, uh, you'll have to go back and listen to the episode that we released last week. So I guess just know that this is part two of a two-part episode. And uh, yeah, off we go. So for 26, how do we feel about the five bloods? I'm okay with that. That would have been my next cut. Yeah, I'm good with that. Uh, who wants to eulogize it then? Brandon, I think you liked the most out of the three of us. Yeah, I guess I could I could give it a go. Uh, it's just about these uh, four uh, black Vietnam, Vietnam War veterans who are going back to Vietnam to salvage a stash of gold that they had hidden during the Vietnam War. And it's basically about... Uh, they're reliving their past traumas and a lot of PTSD and uh, it's a, it's a good old time. It's a very, oh, who's, I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the actor who plays uh, like the really fucking crazy guy. Delroy Lindo. Delroy Lindo. Yeah. He is phenomenal in this. I believe he's probably my favorite performance of the year. Yeah. I would say he's my favorite performance of the year too. Like that one scene where he's just trudging to the jungle and it's just like him, him facing the camera as he's walking. Yeah. And he's just talking to himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, also, oh, it's so good. That's one of the best scenes of the year. It's also worth mentioning that this was the second last appearance of Chadwick Boseman in a movie. Yes. Uh, which and he's fan- he doesn't show up for a ton in this in this one, but he is fantastic when he does. Yes. He has like a, he has a great presence to him. Um. Yeah. The <sighs> five like the five bloods, especially in the beginning, is kind of a mess. And it's not entirely clear in what it tries to say, but like once it does get going, it goes really hard. Uh, I heard, I I think I've described it slash heard it described somewhere as uh, Spike Lee's Apocalypse Now, and I think that's entirely appropriate. The good uh, analogy, yeah. Yeah, um, I I definitely don't think I liked it as much as Brandon, but I do really like it, Chris. I I believe you feel the same way, but correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I, I feel the exact way, the exact same way Stefan does. Like, I I like it a lot. I think it's really messy, mm-hmm. but like especially in the first half an hour when I was kind of like, oh shit, like where is this going it, to go? It takes a bit to get on its feet. Yeah, I'll it, give yeah, it, that. It, it takes yeah, a sec. It takes like half an hour to get into the actual movie. I'd say it takes over forty five minutes. Well, the movies what two hours, two and a half hours long. Two and a half hours, yeah. So, like, I mean, it's not like forty-five minutes is a huge problem for it because there's still another no. hour forty-five. It's, to it's, go, it's still like the the like it, like it's still the first act, right? It takes yeah. a bit, right? But the yeah. second and third acts are fucking they're phenomenal. So, but yeah, no, I think we'd all highly recommend it here. It's my turn, I think. Yes. Uh, what about uh, Emma? 
Yeah, it, it's a little low for me. Uh, I, I don't think it goes much longer, but I'd like it to go a little further. Okay. Uh, then how about Palm Springs? <sighs> Oof. Um, that's a Chris one. That, that's a Chris one. That's a Chrissy poo. Um, or you guys just help me out here and just tell me which one you want me to fucking pick. How about that? No, 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 no. <laughs> like, no, no. I, I think the curiosity of you tracking down the right one is kind of interesting. Um, Torture uh, me more, I, why don't you? Okay, um, no, I, I think with Palm Springs, it's kind of the same thing as Emma, where it's like, I think it's a little too early still. Like, I'd like to see it crack the top 20. Okay, then the personal history of David Copperfield? <sighs> Very low. Oh. That's them's fighting words, buddy. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Try the Invisible Man. <laughs> uh, no, but no, the Invisible. If you're if you're leading Invisible Man, I would also hint, hint, nudge, nudge that way. What about the Invisible Man, guys? Yeah, I'm okay with that. What an organic decision. What a <laughs> what a what an original thought. Um. Okay, so I think I like this more than Stefan did. I think. Maybe I still really like it. Like, oh, because I, I still, I, came, I think I came across in the episode with you and Corbin that like I didn't like the the movie as much, but I still really like it. I think Corbin liked it less than I did for sure. I'm not sure about you, but either way, I really like the movie. Um, it's it's a great movie about domestic abuse and the repercussions that it will have on the victim. Mm. You know, as time goes on, it's a very like. I guess in that sense, like it's 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 extremely thought provoking and like really like it really gets under your skin and it really makes you genuinely uncomfortable, which is a lot more than what I can say for you know any of the other fucking Universal monster remakes that came out in the last five years. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess this was originally supposed to be Dark Universe, wasn't it? This was well because this was originally supposed to be like just a straight Invisible Man remake with Johnny Depp. Right, right. And then they handed it over to Blumhouse and uh, Leigh Whannell, and it was like, oh yeah, here, uh, do something good with it. Give her, you know, give her, do something interesting with it. And like, you know, somehow on a much tighter budget, you get a movie that's much smarter, much more thought provoking, much more interesting, much more terrifying, even like it's a really it's a really disturbing movie. But I mean, it's also, you know, it's also super entertaining. Elizabeth Moss is incredible in it. She steals the goddamn show. Oh, my God. She basically owns the goddamn show at this point. No, No kidding. Um, no, she's absolutely incredible. Probably one of my favorite performances of the year. Um, I'm, I'm really sad that it kind of slipped a little bit under the radar because of, I guess, just how bad this year kind of got. And like, I think the movie kind of came out like right as everything went to shit. Mm. So I didn't end up seeing it in a theater, although I really, really wanted to. Mm. Um, Stefan, did you have anything you wanted to add? No, I think you, I think you pretty much covered it other than. They they made the Invisible Man like effects look suitably terrifying. Yes. Oh yeah, the effects look great. And I I and I think the the decision to center the center it on Elizabeth Moss's character as a foe as opposed to as a foe as opposed to Adrian Griffin, I think that was genius. Yes. Uh because I really didn't need a story that told like that that centered on how sympathetic the male character was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Now I also want to add, because um, you brought up the effects, and I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the <laughs> the budget for this movie was $7 million. No, it, it was very – it was a Blumhouse movie. Yeah, it was a Blumhouse movie, so it was made, a, it was made for very, very, very cheap. But what I also find 
really amazing is like for seven million dollars, they probably accomplished more like special effects wise than they would have with the however hundreds, how many hundreds of millions of dollars they would have put into Johnny Depp's The Invisible Man. Very true. It's a either way, it's a great movie. Um, we highly recommend it here at the House of Decay. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little sad it's it's going to be at number 25, but I mean... I think that's more a testament to just how top-heavy this year has been. This has been a very top-heavy year. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I think it's my turn now? Yeah, it is. It is now... It's all on my shoulders, baby. Okay. I'm going to go... I'm going to go really ballsy here. I've got backups just in case. Because I think Stefan's going to fight me on this one. Probably. If it's what I think it is, then yeah. What do you think it is? I I think you're saying Mank. Yeah, I'm saying Mank. No, absolutely not. Mm. No. I have no opinion. That's my second favorite movie of the year, dude. I'm not. It's not 24. Uh. Like, I, I've come to peace with the fact that, like, it's not it's not getting second place on our list overall, but twenty four is much too low. Um it's my twenty I think. Um Stefan's gonna kill me for saying this and probably call me stupid. It's my twentieth favorite movie of the year. I don't th- that's fine. Like there's, um, a, also, there's not a whole lot of room between a lot of the movies in, in my top twenty either, but like it's better than it's better than every movie that left uh, left in my opinion, bar 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 one. Like and I know it's not gonna get to top two, but like 24 is that's way too low. <sighs> okay. Um, I also have birds of prey higher than Manx, So fuck me. <laughs> um, okay. Um, okay. How do you guys feel about Borat? Uh, it feels a little low, but also yeah. I feel like I'm going to be saying that about every movie. Yeah. I think we're going to be saying that about every single movie. So, so- if Brandon's okay with it, I'm okay with it. Uh, I'd like to see it a little bit higher. Like Borat's in my like top ten, top five at least too. I'm gonna pull away from that. Yeah, I watched that last night. Okay, how do you guys feel about it being a 24? That would it's it's yeah that would have that would have been my next cut, but I I, I want to hear what Brandon says. Um. I liked Vivarium a lot, but I'm honestly I'm, I'm probably fine cutting it here. Okay, yeah. then rest in it peace. Was, it, was, it was good, but it wasn't like groundbreaking. No. no. Yeah, it's very hyper surreal Twilight Zone. Very, really like very Twilight Zone. Vivarium is about this couple who are looking, I guess, for a new place to live, and so they go and meet this sales uh, real estate agent, and he brings them to a place called Yonder, which is. Uh, basically a community of the exact same house built the exact same way over miles of miles of land so that we can see anyway. And they get trapped there uh, in this never-ending street of houses. They can't get away. They always end up coming back to the same spot. And it's, it's, it's how that isolation kind of affects them as people and their relationships as well. And then they're also forced to raise uh, what looks to be a child, uh, but does not act like one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's it's very, like I said, very surreal. 
And good lord, was that a trip at being high at four in the morning and watching the fucking TV the kids watching and just going, oh my god. That, ch- <laughs> that child is one of the most terrifying things in any Oh my god, dude. And he just, like, like how he screams for yeah. stuff. Oh. I, I, honestly, I found that really clever because, like, if you think about it, like, if when people have actual, like, kids of their own, they have babies and stuff, that's what happens, right? The kid cries for food or he cries because he needs his diaper changed. Granted, it doesn't happen when they're fucking, like, eight years old, like this kid is, clearly. Yeah, but it is, it, it like there is kind of that alienation that happens sometimes, not all the time, when parents start to resent their kids, uh, and that's not common, and it's usually passing, but uh, like fleeting or in passing. But it's a good representation of that, but it's also kind of a culmination of that metaphor of the cuckoo bird that the movie hits on really hard. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's great. Uh, Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg are fantastic in it. Yeah. Um, I had the one thing actually I had left to say about it was, mm-hmm. and I, I thought it was just really fun uh, when he's digging that hole mm-hmm. or whatever, because it's the last thing that he can really hold on to for like mm-hmm. his, his, his humanity is in his sanity, I guess. And it's literally just, he's digging his own grave. Yeah. That was just like, holy fuck. Okay. Take a step right. back. If that ain't a representation of work under capitalism, I don't know what is. <laughs> um, there, there was one thing I wanted to mention. Go for it. It's, I think, the only movie from this, like, Vivarium is the only movie from this year that my mom texted me about. Oh, really? That's yeah. that's, a, that's an accomplishment. In um, this, this is a text conversation from way back in July. She said to me, do you happen to know the name of a movie that has a bunch of greenhouses that are all the same in it? It's supposed to be this some sort of horror movie, and I think the name starts with an X. Well, X kind of looks like a V. <laughs> and then, yeah, she said she hadn't finished watching the whole thing, but it sounded like a crazy movie <laughs> from what she watched of it. So mom didn't finish it. She's not wrong. Mom didn't finish it, but she had a good time. That's yeah. that, put put that on the fucking put that on the fucking DVD. <laughs> Bonus features. Beautiful. Backstage with Chris. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Sequel right. to game. Mom's favorite podcast. Get like a fucking bumper sticker where it's my son's a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a row of of cars that have like bumper stickers. Like, my son graduated USC. My son graduated UCLA. My son graduated from University of Texas. My son has a movie podcast. <laughs> and, then, and then the mother is just fucking beaming in the driver's seat. She's so happy. And then she gets a little more sad when a car just completely cuts her off as a bumper sticker that said, my son was a guest on the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> as she should be. <laughs> this mother has good taste. Um. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Stefan, I reckon it's your turn. It is my turn. I'm going to cut Children of the Sea, which is I only I've seen. Okay. Uh, so Children of the Sea uh, is my second last anime movie on on of the list. Oh, thank God um, we're almost there. Uh, so we are this close to annihilating anime from the list, and it will be a successful day for all of us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Um, Kill Children the fucking the- weeb. I did hear you. Um, it, it, so it takes place in kind of a seaside Japanese town where this girl who has a lot of, I guess, I guess is having a a tough time with behavioral issues for family reasons, uh, is meets this boy who 
apparently lives in head comes from the sea or lives in the sea and that's all i'll really say about it for now except that she's constantly drawn to the sea and that that's how she happens to meet this boy and that's all i'll say about it for now because i don't actually know how to explain the rest of the plot it's probably the most beautiful animated movie of the year um and its story is very very interesting if a little obtuse and a little a little a little too muddled for its own good like i I go back and forth between thinking this movie is kind of profound and thinking it's kind of up its own ass but i think what carries it is the animation uh it it does have some noticeable 3d in the in in uh, a way that only the medium of anime can provide uh but for the most part, it's absolutely fucking gorgeous. And if you're a fan of animation at all, I would I would su- I would suggest checking it out. Um, at least at least on that basis alone. But yeah, uh, Children of the Sea at twenty three seems seems right to me. Uh, Brandon, you're up next. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. Uh. Uh, Gretel and Hansel. Little low. Little low. Okay. Uh, next, uh, Baccarat. Little low. Okay, next, uh, the call. Quite low. I, well, Quite low. not not as low for me, but I think God. Chris will literally slaughter somebody. Fucking Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, premature. Yeah, that was that was gonna be my next cut. They uh, say I'm premature. I just call it ecstasy. Thanks, Chris. Teams the eight now. You fuck. <laughs> so I don't, I, don't, I don't know how the rules of behind that work, but like that's, I don't know. I think that's not. I feel, I feel like you should be able to sing a fucking song. I would certainly hope so. <laughs> uh, so I talked a little bit about premature earlier, I believe. Uh, so I won't talk about it too much now. Um, but it's a very beautiful, melancholic story about a rate of relationship blossoming and then uh, doing the opposite of that. Um, I, I don't know how to how to convey this, but it's definitely got one of the most well conveyed tones of any movie I've seen this year. That's a bad way of putting it, but it, there's just this palpable feeling of melancholy to it that you can probably tell like where the movie's going even a while before. But I think that's a credit to the filmmaking and the the music and the cinematography that you can kind of uh, forecast what's going on just based on nonverbal cues. Um, mm-hmm. The director, um, I wanted to shout him out because I don't, I think this might be his first movie or like maybe among his first movies, but uh, Rashad Ernesto Green, I believe is his name. And he does a fantastic job. And I wanted to shout him out as well as the two leads who uh, Zora Howard and Joshua Boone. Uh, They do fantastic. Every, this movie is like, on a technical level absolutely fantastic and i'm really glad i caught it and it did slip under my radar because i think it slipped slipped under a lot of people's radars um but yeah premature at 22 that sounds really that looks good to me uh chris you have 21 okay um i'm gonna make this very very quick and i'm gonna cut something only i've watched but i think it's it's made it as far as i think it can before I think people start trying to jump my ass for it. Um, I'm going to cut Palm Springs. Okay. 
a movie that I absolutely positively really fucking enjoyed and i highly recommend both you and uh brandon sit down and watch it yeah i definitely meant to watch it like it was on my list all year but it was on hulu for the longest time we don't have hulu in canada and then it came out on amazon and i do not have amazon so i was gonna have to wait a bit to watch it and Mm -hmm. i was really bummed about it because it looks really good it is it's really funny and it's really it's really fun and it's really sweet and it's got a lot of really earnest moments to it. Um, Andy Samberg's great in it. I honestly think it's one of his best performances as a comedic actor. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I've ever seen Andy Samberg kind of play this kind of like, I don't know how to describe him. Like, he clearly doesn't really give a fuck. There's a bit of a, a air of nihilism to him. Mm-hmm. I, I really like this character. I really like the way that they handled the concept. You know, it's 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 a really fun movie. It's is it anything groundbreaking? No, but it's it's got a lot of really cute moments. It's got a lot of really funny moments. It's the characters are really interesting. The whole the way that they deal with the uh, time loop concept is really interesting. Like especially because like these time loop movies have been coming out a lot lately. There's been a lot of time loop related media coming out over the yeah. last few years. I feel. Oh yeah, like like Happy Death Day, for example. Happy Death Day, Edge of Tomorrow, or Live, Die, Repeat, or whatever the fuck it's called. It's called both. Yeah, whatever it's called today. Uh, tomorrow it'll be called the Tom, Tom, Cruise, the, the Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise Fights Aliens. That'll be Three. what it's called tomorrow. Mission Impossible 5X. Yeah. <laughs> the Return. Um, it, it has the Final Fantasy naming convention for some reason. <laughs> um, next week it'll be called Twin Peaks The Return. <laughs> Cinema Kaye immediately names it the best movie of whatever year it came out. Kaye is... <laughs> Fuck them, dude. We are... we all, So every movie left can pat on its, itself on the back because it's made yeah. it into our top 20. Hell yeah. Before we get into it, I think we should do a qui- do a, quickly do a recap of the, the list's positioning up to this point. Uh, 77, Hillbilly Elegy. Boo. 76, Fantasy Island. 75, Like a Boss. Also, feel free to boo. Uh, 74, Bit. Fucking boo! 73, The Wrong Missy. Boo! All right. 72, The Jesus Rolls. Sounds like a... The the Jesus Rolls sounds like a a brand of Twinkies. (laughs) Uh, 71, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Woo! Fallen. Oh, yeah. uh, 70, Hubie Halloween. Yeah. 69, nice. Uh, Tenet. Not nice. Six, six, um, yeah, no, wait, wait. Uh, we live in a Twilight world. Move on. Beautiful. 68, Irresistible. I am the protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> 68, Irresistible. 67. I, the protagonist, am Irresistible. Thanks, thanks, Chris. 67, Wonder Woman 1984. 66, New Mutants. 65, Pokemon Mutant, Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution. 64, Bloodshot. 63, Peninsula. 62, The Old Guard. 61, Onward. 60, The Gentleman. Boo. 59, Extraction. 58, The Midnight Sky. 57, Enola Holmes. 56, The Lovebirds. 55, She Dies Tomorrow. Uh, 54, An American Pickle. 53, I'm No Longer Here. 52, The Willoughby's, and 51, The Half of It. Chris? Number 50, Blood Quantum. Number 49, The Short History of the Long Road to My Ass. 
number 48 alive number 47 capone number 46 sonic the hedgehog number 45 spree number 44 violet evergarden eternity of the auto memory doll number 43 spiral number 42 the lodge number 41 cuties uh 40 the platform 39 rascal does not dream of a dreaming girl swear to god not porn 38 yes god yes <laughs> swear to god not yes. porn <laughs> yes god yes 37, Goldman v. Silverman. 36, Bill and Ted Face the Music. 35, A Shaun the Sheep Movie, Farmageddon. 34, A Whisker Away. 33, The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open. 32, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. 31, We Are Little Zombies. Uh, 30, The Devil All the Time. 29, What Did Jack Do? Great. 28, Made in Abyss, Dawn of the Deep Soul. 27, Come to Daddy. 26, The Five Bloods. 25, The Invisible Man. 24, Vivarium, or Vivarium, whatever. Uh, 23, Children of the Sea. 22, Premature. And 21, Prom Springs. And that is our, I guess, top 57. Yeah, exactly. Or low, I guess low 57. You have 20 yeah. left to go. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I guess I have the pick at 20. I'm gonna. This is this is gonna get really hard really fast. So I'm gonna take some temperatures. Just like my dick. That is what she said. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> we are professionals. <laughs> do love a good penis. Um, what? <laughs> you fucking heard me. Uh, twenty. So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take some temperature. Uh, twenty. Uh, Chris, how do you feel about possessor? Ooh. Wouldn't be my first cut. Okay. Um what about Borat then? I'm okay with that. Brandon? Yeah. I'm fine with that. Okay, so I think for 20, and this wouldn't be not my next pick either, just for the record, but the others I don't think I have any shot of cutting, so Borat I think will be our consensus number 20. Which is not um, a good. That, that's not a bad spot at all. No, not at all. Like I, I personally wouldn't see it higher, but I feel like, like I don't. Like I said, I haven't seen the other ones that you guys have seen, and I feel like you're putting those higher than Borat. So I'm, I'm willing to let it go. Um, I don't think we really need to do much of a eulogy for it. Just go listen to the episode we did on it. We spent like a good fucking hour on it. We did. We did do a whole ass episode. Um. Um, the big thing I will say though is I've noticed that Maria Bakalova is actually getting a lot of awards attention for this now. So beautiful, hell yeah, brother! That's awesome. That's uh, I think she should. I think she's getting nominated in supporting actress though, which is kind of absurd. I uh, I mean it kind of makes sense, but also like I really I if she gets an Oscar nomination for it, I'm gonna freak. I'll I'll be happy if she gets an Oscar nomination regardless. But she is on that screen for just about as much as Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Um, but whatever, those that ca- those categories are very fluid anyway. Um, she is the revelation from this movie, I think, to say nothing about how uh, it captured the, uh, uh, kill me for saying this, but it captured the political zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely, I definitely recommend our episode on it if you also want to hear us in the middle of post-election depress- depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, so that's Borat at 20. Uh, Brandon, 19. All right. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with something that Chris said earlier. I'm gonna choose Mank. I think here. 
Absolutely, motherfucker. Absolutely, fucking not. I knew that was gonna happen. Uh, okay, fine. Uh, how I'm about just American? Trying to mank over here. <laughs> I'm manking here. I'm just uh, trying to have a mank off party over here, and you people keep barging in on it. <laughs> putting me out of the mood, man. <laughs> uh, what about American Utopia? <sighs> no, I'd be okay with that. No, I'm not okay with that. Okay, uh, then Possessor, Chris? <sighs> okay, I, I can let Possessor go. I would be okay with that, too. Okay. Um, a little peeved, but okay with that. I'm a, I'm a little peeved about it, too, but... <sighs> yeah, something's gotta give. Something's, something's gotta, gotta give. give. If, if it means that American Utopia can potentially make the top ten, even if it just barely cracks it at this point. Because mm-hmm. I'm gonna be really pissed if it doesn't make the top ten. Because this is kind of like... This is, this is my mank... <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna start saying that about every movie now. It's like you know, this is like this is my, my mank. mank. I suppose this is my mank. <laughs> this is my spank mank. <laughs> Introducing your new boyfriend to your mom. This is my mank. <laughs> Imagine putting mank in your spank bank. Mank spank bank. Your 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 dank mank spank <laughs> bank. That's your a spank mank. That's a rank spank bank mank. No no no. It's a thank. It's a very it's a it's a rank but dank mank spank bank. Couldn't get through it with the tank. Yeah. Crank. <laughs> crank the mank. Crank your mank. Whatever cranks your mank. Whatever cranks your mank. That is the sequel to K quote of twenty twenty one right there. That is, everybody. No, that is the sequel to K promise. Uh yes. Um a crank in every mank. <laughs> anyway, um I think it's I think it's my wait no we need to eulogize possessor possessor um I will I will take this honor go for it I haven't seen antiviral so I can't speak for Brandon Cronenberg's other movie I can speak for possessor being fucking awesome though so it's good. absurdly violent but as is the Cronenberg promise it must yeah. be a family um, tradition a family tradition um much like you know UCP MLA is going to Hawaii for some reason, but either way. Wow. <laughs> um, I just smell no, the flowers. <laughs> no, but it's it's very very disturbing, especially as an allegory about alienation, mm-hmm. and not even just an alien, not even an alienation allegory, but just about the desensitization, desensitize how desensitized we get to violence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can speak English. You'll get there, buddy. You got it. Keep trying. I don't know why. I just immediately had the image of Sonic pounding tails in the ass and screaming, gotta go fast as he nuts right in. All right. Well, that sounds like a problem (laughs) between you and God, but. Chris, can you please eulogize Possessor? (laughs) Yes. Holy shit. That was I was really not prepared for that, dude. That was really funny. <laughs> Why? You know what? I don't even want to know. Just, just okay. fucking talk about Possessor, please. Okay. So, yeah. Possessor is a great allegory for alienation as well as how desensitized we are to violence. It's a very, very cold movie as well, which oh, I find yeah. really strange, especially because Cronenberg's movies aren't very cold. Mm-hmm. Like David's, I mean, not Brandon's. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, like his dad's movies aren't very cold, so it's kind of strange to see like a lot of Cronenbergian elements, but also it being extremely cold. Mind you, I guess 
late, like current Cronenberg can get pretty cold. So I can kind of see it, but either way, it's a brilliant movie. It's probably one of the best horror movies of the last of the year. Um, it's not my favorite horror movie of the year, but God damn, it's pretty close. And this has been a great year for horror. Of course it has. Yeah, it has. So I highly recommend it. Also Christopher Abbott's performance. Oh, Christopher Abbott is one of the best performances of the year. He is oh, so Oh my God. Good. Yeah. Um, but also the poster is extremely haunting. Oh yeah. The scene that the poster is from, or the scene that the poster comes from even more so. Oh yeah. That's that shit fucked me up. And then there's me going, this is normal. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Um, what can I get away with cutting? What can I get away with cutting? I'm, I'm going to cut zombie for sale. It pains me, but I can live with it. Like, it pains me, too, but I'm really happy that we're going to have two South Korean films in the top 20 at this point. Yeah, it... it and Zombie for Sale is just a fucking treat. Zombie uh, for Sale is delightful. Uh, if, do you mind if I do the eulogy since I haven't talked about it yet? Yeah, I, t- I talked about it when we did the recap, and I mentioned how much I love it. Why don't what, you t- you can do the eulogy? <gasps> Yay! Okay. Um. So I I watched Zombie for Sale over the Christmas break mm-hmm. because I finally had time and I finally found a copy to watch. Um. I was not expecting it to be as clever as it was. Like I was expecting it to be more just like a cute little Korean Brahms on com. And I love it. And I think the biggest, uh, the biggest issue I think I have with it is the way it was marketed, especially by arrow because arrow had the home video distribution rights for it. Mm-hmm. And the, the way that, yeah, the way that arrow kind of, the way the arrow kind of did her in was like, here, I have the Blu-ray right here. I'll just read it out loud. Mm. So like they would say things like an infectiously funny slice of modern Korean cinema where train to Busan, the quiet family and warm bodies collide. Oh, which fuck, which that's not what the movie is at all. Um, parts or, of that are correct, but parts of that are very wrong. Or like, you know, calling the protagonists a dysfunctional family that gives the Kim family from Parasite a run for their money. Oh, no. Like, fuck off. <laughs> um, because, you know, apparently the people who buy Arrow Blu-rays have only seen one Korean movie in their life. <laughs> and it just so happens to be Parasite. But mm-hmm. To um, be fair, and I don't, want, I don't want to distract too much from your eulogy, but... Zombie for Sale does have a lot of commentary on capitalism as well. It, it does have a lot of commentary on capitalism, and I was going to bring that up. Okay. Um, and more specifically, it has more to do with opportunists mm-hmm. as well as the exploitation of workers. Because like throughout the film, we're seeing the, the family take advantage of the zombie and, you know, just kind of treat him like absolute shit. Mm-hmm. Like when he's not performing his function... He's ultimately abused and often seen as kind of a, as you know, an animal and a creature, and I guess, quote unquote, a savage. I guess. Oh, and also, I, I think what's also really funny is like how like this opportunist mentality, as well as this exploitation of the zombie, ultimately just leads to the downfall of society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I think it's great how like it's just saying like, oh yeah, capitalism is just going to ultimately bring us to total fucking annihilation. That's good and cool. 
screw me on the nose about it, but God bless. Um, I mentioned this in my letterbox review, but there's a great um, homage to Dead Alive in the movie, the Peter Jackson film, I mean, um, often referred to as Brain Dead. Um, for those of you who kind of go either way with the titles, but there's this great homage because there's that scene in Dead Alive where um, Lionel, the protagonist, can't stop me, uh, but Lionel takes a push lawnmower to a horde of zombies in Dead Alive. Nice. And it's fucking awesome. It's so fucking cool, dude. <laughs> and in Zombie for Sale, the um, the lead female character whose name I cannot remember off the top of my head for the life of me, and I'm going to quickly look her up. Yeah, so the, the, the fucking scene where Hagel uh, takes the fucking weed whacker to the, to the fucking zombies, in, in my eyes, that was a direct homage to Dead Alive. And I really appreciated that. Um, I, I also mentioned in my Letterboxd review, like, obviously, I, I love this movie and I highly recommend it. But also, if you're going to watch it, I highly recommend doing a double bill of Zombie for Sale and Fido, the 2006 Canadian zombie comedy, or I guess Rom Zomcom to keep up with the trend, um, which has which I think was directed by Andrew Curry, I believe, and stars Billy Connolly, Carrie, Carrie Ann Moss, and Dylan Baker from Trick or Treat, who we've talked about and sung the praises of before. Yes, so highly recommended on my front. I believe Fido's available on YouTube. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Mm-hmm. So Not that we would recommend that. Not that we would recommend that, no. We're all about reputable sellers. Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Reputable uh, sellers like whoever uploaded it to YouTube, God bless. <laughs> uh, speaking of Dead Alive and speaking of uh, various titles, um, it, it, it can be a little hard to find because if you're interested in watching it, and you should be because I highly recommend it and Chris does too, uh, it, it can also be found under the title The Odd Family Zombie On Sale. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know why that is. I don't know why they didn't just pick one title, but it is what it is. So be on the lookout for both those titles because it is a damn good motion picture. I, I'm pretty sure in North America and possibly even in the UK as well, mm-hmm. um, it's it's mostly going under the title Zombie for Sale because I think the only way you can buy it physically is through the Arrow release. And I'm pretty sure Arrow is the one who's handling distribution digitally as well. Mm-hmm. So... Definitely, like, start with Zombie for Sale, and then if you can't find it there, then, yeah, The Odd Family Zombie on Sale is probably your best bet. Yep, yep. Um, All right. I believe it's my turn, right? Yep. Okay, I'll uh, I'll do another one that is one of my movies. Uh, I'll talk about uh, Driveways real quick. Uh, Driveways for a while, and Driveways is going at 17, is, uh, for a while, it was my favorite movie of the year. Uh, and then over time, like obviously movies kind of leapfrogged it, uh, but it is still a fantastic little, I guess, I, I guess I'd call it a family drama. Um, it, it stars Hong Chow and Brian Dennehy, uh, as well as Hong Chow's son. I, I forget what his name is. Uh, Hong Chow and her son are clearing out the house of her sister, um, who recently passed away. And they get into conversations with her neighbor, uh, Brian Dennehy, whose wife passed away years ago at this point. And that's all a giveaway in part because I talked about this a lot in a, a recap episode. But it is a very tight little emotional drama that really it, it stuck with me for a good long time. And I highly, highly recommend it uh, for what it, it, it they're very different movies tonally. But it kind of reminds me a lot of The Farewell from last year, which was another fantastic movie. 
but yeah, uh, driveways at 17. That's a damn good place for it. Uh, but that's, I guess, all I have to say about it. Brandon, you are at 16. God, this is a scary choice. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Oh, I'm going to get fucking slammed for this. Um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. No. No. Uh, it, it's no. Personal History, David Copperfield. Nope. Okay. This is just like every time I fucking try to choose something. Uh, Ride Your Wave. Come on, man. Okay, well, fucking Emma then. That's fine. Okay, uh, fucking uh, Emma. You want to talk about this fan? Go ahead. Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, Anya Taylor Joy, uh, for multiple reasons, is fantastic in Emma. She's one of my, I've said this a lot today, but one of my favorite performances of the year. Um, it is basically just the Jane Austen story, which is fine. That that's that's great. It's the Jane Austen story rules, um, but it has the added benefit of being shot really well with really terrific performances. Everything good about it can probably be attributed to the novel, but that's enough to make me really fucking like it. Um, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I don't have much more to say about it, but it's a fucking terrific movie. Um, Chris, you're at 15. All right, I'm at 15. Mm. Kind of a bold move. I'm going to try it out and see what happens. Um, Stefan, how would you feel if I cut Ma Rainey's black bottom right here? Unhappy, but I'd be unhappy about everything at this point. I, I'm unhappy about everything at this point. Like, there's no joy here. <laughs> We're supposed to be making good <laughs> reviews, guys. We're all just like, fuck everything. <laughs> I don't want to rate this. Fuck. They're all, they're all good. They're all good. <laughs> I mean, they are all good. They are all good, yeah. yes. Um, Stefan, eulogize it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is directed by George C. Wolfe. It's based on the play by August Wilson, who also wrote Fences, who who y'all might remember as the Denzel Washington movie from a few years ago. Uh, this, it, it stars... Uh, Chadwick Boseman in his last performance, I believe, uh, and Viola Davis, uh, with Davis playing the uh, fictional early twentieth century blues superstar uh, Ma Rainey. Well, she was she was a real character. She was a real person. I don't know why I said fictional. I knew she yeah, was real. Like she's it, she's she's a real person. It's just that this is a fictionalized story surrounding her. Yes, yes. Uh, Chadwick Boseman plays a member of her band named Levy who uh, is very ambitious and uh, hot-headed and uh, frequently collides with the other members of her band. And the whole, uh, you can tell it's a play. It centers entirely around like one recording session in Chicago and basically the, the clash of everybody's worldviews and their experiences as well as their own personal hangups about uh, race, religion, etc., but it is a really fucking good movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chadwick Boseman is fucking electric in it. Like, th- there's no other way around it. Best like, in fucking power, dude. Oh, yeah, God. No so, so good. It It's almost hard to watch sometimes just because you realize, like, what we lost. when And what he was going through at the time, too. Yeah, no kidding. 
his that monologue he gives it's about six minutes long. Mm-hmm. It just it hits Brandon. You need to watch it's on fucking Netflix. You have no excuse. Arrhenius, yeah. Mm-hmm. It like my god, Chadwick Boseman's delivery of that monologue just killed me. It's so fucking good. Mm-hmm. And as as much as we are talking about Ch- Chadwick Boseman, we should like I would say like top three best performances of the year, without a doubt. But. I think we should also be giving a lot of credit to Viola Davis, who is absolutely, absolutely. brilliant in this. She makes um, chugging an entire Coke bottle look like such a power move. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, I, I said this to fan, but I, I, I really am starting to think that Viola Davis is going to become like the Meryl Streep of our generation. Mm-hmm. Like more so in the sense that like she can really embody any any and every character that she plays and even if she gives, like, I guess a quote-unquote, like, any other actor's quote-unquote mediocre performance, she's still fucking great. Yeah. Like, she's one of the good things about Suicide Squad. Like, one of the three good things. Yeah. The others being Margot Robbie and Jai Courtney. Surprisingly. Shocking, shockingly <laughs> enough, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, it also, and I really appreciated... I think this part of it where it talks a lot about how the music industry treats black artists, mm-hmm. how basically uh, black uh, black people are only given power within the music industry so long as they're profitable. And once they stop being profitable, their their music is carted off to be repackaged as essentially white music, I guess. But like mm-hmm. the last shot is one of the most infuriating shots of the into of this year been in oh movie, my well actually that was that part that last section wasn't even in the original play i don't think no shit no um i think that uh, as far as i remember of reading the play i'm pretty sure that was just a thing for the movie mm. wow well it was a great addition oh yeah no it's a great addition yeah the absolutely terrific movie in mo- in many other years this would easily be in the top 10 uh but such is the nature of 2020 awful year surprisingly good movies mm-hmm. um so uh if we're done with ma rainey at 15 uh it's my pick at 14 and th- i can this is we're we're we're, we're in the thick of it yeah, dude. um so i'm gonna i'm gonna take some temperatures real quick Boy, um, here we go chris how do you feel about never rarely sometimes always i'm okay with it Okay. Um, it, it hurts. It feels like getting stabbed in the leg. Yeah, I mean, th- ranking it and also the movie itself. Well, yeah, yeah, both. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, okay, then I'm I'm gonna put never, rarely, sometimes, always. Uh, which another terrific movie that kind of flew under the radar. I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of two films in my top ten of the year directed by women that did not get a Blu-ray release. Wow. That's a that's a big boo. Big boo. Um you can buy them big, on DVD though. Big 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 boos in the oh. chat. Yeah, big boos in the chat. Um yeah. No, you can buy them on DVD, but you know, if you want to watch them HD, you got to get them like digitally. Boo. Mm. Not cool, um, man. Not cool. So um anyway, but onto the movie itself. So never rarely sometimes always is <sighs> Really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the entire movie is um, actually before I get into what the movie's about, I'd like to quickly talk about who directed it. Um, because oh, the movie was directed by 
Eliza Hitman, who, if you're not completely familiar with her, she also directed a movie a few years ago called Beach Rats. Never heard of it. Which no. It's really good. Mm-hmm. It's really good, and I, I, I do recommend it. Okay. But it's basically, like, like Beach Rats is like a coming-of-age movie about um, someone figuring out their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And never rarely, sometimes always, is about a 17-year-old girl who unexpectedly gets pregnant and she has to travel to New York to get an abortion without her parents knowing. Mm-hmm. I don't need to explain to you why that is probably really hard to watch. Yeah. Um, I'm very surprised this movie is only PG-13. That's shocking to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually like stunned that the movie is only PG-13. But at the same time, I'm also really happy that it's PG-13 because I think teenagers need to watch something like this. Yeah, I think this is one of the movies that, like, like I, I, this would never happen, but it would be a good movie to show for in, in schools. I, oh, absolutely. Like I would I would highly recommend showing this in sex ed, especially, like, high school sex ed. Are you fucking kidding me? Not only does it deal with, like, pregnancies and unwanted pregnancies, but also with, like, themes of consent, especially – uh, like the never, the actual never, rarely, sometimes, always seen is beyond being one of the best. It's also one of the saddest and most poignant scenes of the entire year. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sydney Flanagan, she is terrific in it. Like mm-hmm. she, she's very, I, I, she's very stoic. But even through that, she can convey so much emotion and very, very, very minuscule eye or muscle movements. Yeah. Um, also, uh, her, the actor who plays her cousin who accompanies her to New York, I already, Tolly Ryder, she's yeah. also terrific is kind of, kind of her foil, not in the sense that she's like comic relief or anything, but definitely in the sense that she's kind of trying to keep. She's, she's the support. Board. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just a terrific movie all around. I, it's yeah. grown on me the more I, after, since I saw it, it's. Yeah, it's, it's so fucking good. I'm sad. It's. I'm sad it has to be at 14, but fuck. Uh, Brandon, you're at lucky number 13. Kajillionaire? Don't even think about it. All right. I was going to say I was okay with it, but Chris really likes it. What place on your list is that, Chris? Um, It would be... It's my fourth favorite movie of the year. <sighs> yeah. I don't, what is... Ride Your Wave? This is... It's that's my fifth favorite movie of the year. I oh, I really want to get it to the top 10, but if you can't, if there's nothing else that like y- you want to cut, I could I could live with it. Like what I'm uh, what basically what I'm looking at here is Ride Your Wave, Personal History of David Copperfield or The Call. Um oh god. Out oh of god. Those I would say the call, but that's really, really tough. Uh, oh, um, I'm, I'm like, I'm open to suggestions, you guys. <laughs> um, okay, uh, this isn't just the one track thing. <laughs> what about his house? I think that's too early. I was thinking that too early, but like, yeah, I agree with Chris, it's too early. Um, I, how would you guys feel about bad education? It's a little band. early, but I think that's fine. Okay. Bad education is probably the angriest you're going to be all year. It has some competition, but I tend to agree. Like, I, I, oh, I think that ending is going to piss you off to no end. Yeah. 
it's this incredible film about how a lack of accountability and transparency and just even just power in general just easily corrupts the mind and you know putting someone in such a high position of power can easily make them feel like they're holier than thou and better the rules and better than the law what what makes the movie even stronger is the fact that nothing really happened after the fact yeah like nothing really happened to these people they turned out fine mm-hmm. and i i think even just coming to that realization even if you know that that's coming or not it still angers the fuck out of you when you get when you get through that entire journey mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um the performances are incredible it's really well written yeah hugh jackman is surprisingly convincing as a uh, stone cold sociopath oh yeah mm-hmm. Um, he, well, I think also, I, 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 it doesn't surprise me that much because like it, Hugh it Jackman's is, extremely charming. Yeah, yes. that, that, that's, that, that's a good point. I shouldn't say surprised, but like caught me a little off guard how good he is, but it does make sense. Most, most of the like people who are like super charming, like Hugh Jackman, like take Ryan Reynolds, for example, Ryan Reynolds, for example, he's also super charming mm-hmm. and I feel like he'd do really good in a role like that. Oh, if you want to see Ryan Reynolds in a role, not sociopath, but more psychopathic. Um, it's, it's not a movie I really care for that much, but he's really good at it. Uh, go watch the voices. Why does that ring a bell? That's the one where he, he talks to his animals and they tell him to kill people. Oh, right. Oh yeah. I I meant to see that when it came out and then I kind of never did and it got kind of mixed reviews. Yeah. It's, it's not great, but Ryan Reynolds is really good in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, 12. Who is up? Is it me? It's me. Stefan, how are you going to feel if I say Colorado Space? Grumpy, but resigned. Okay. Um, I think, like, out of all the movies we have left, that's the one that, like, I think we could come to a grudging consensus can go now. So. Yeah, that was my grudging consensus one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stefan, I'll let you eulogize it since I know you like it more than I do, but mind you, not by much. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't think it by much either. Um, I'm also a total shill for Lovecraftian stories, so that's big surprise that I like this one. Um, we talked about it before, so I'll keep it relatively short, but it does thing. It's, it's proof of concept for the fact that like what people end up doing with Lovecraft stories is often more interesting than what Lovecraft did with the stories himself. Um, and part of that is just because with the medium of film, you can actually convey the color, uh, that is turning people insane. Although it is it is hard to pass it off as indescribable when it's very clearly pink. Um, but more to the point, Nicolas Cage is fucking awesome. Oh, yeah, this. he's fucking great in this. Yeah, especially in the second half when he really starts getting into full-bore Nicolas Cage-isms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, it, it's terrific. Um, who plays his wife again? I'm blanking. I believe that is... Yes, that's correct. That is Jolie Richardson. Jolie Richardson, she... Like, low-key, she's really fucking good in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's probably got the most personal arc out of any, although with Nicolas Cage, like, there is always that uh, arc of not wanting to become like his father, but eventually becoming like his father anyway, because, you know, the color turns people into their biggest fear. That Yeah, no, I, I think I've said all that I can say about it on the podcast, but it's a really fucking good movie. Do you have anything to say about it? Um... I've I've said everything I need to on the show. I will say though, happy birthday, Nicolas Cage. 
No it's shit. Saturday? Yep. It, oh. January 7th is his birthday today. All right. Happy birthday, oh, Nick Cage. So now we come to the vaunted number 11 spot. So we see which movie is going to... Uh, not make the top 10. Not make the top 10. Which is still usually a great movie, especially this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a couple feelers I want to send out. I am extremely sure they're going to be rejected. And once they are, I have I have one that I know can be cut. But what do we feel about his house? No. No. I'm kind of a no too on that. Uh so I'm happy to hear that. Um I'm not even going to bother with the other feelers cuz they're hard nose as well. I think oh, I'll no. cut Oh now I now I want to know what those other feelers were. Me too. I I was gonna I was gonna sit like and I wouldn't have been happy with these either, but Cajillionaire uh, and the call, but those weren't gonna happen. Oh, get fucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, How about I'm I offer gonna... Mank again, asshole? Absolutely not. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> go with another my second last movie on this list, I believe that only I've seen, uh, and that's Baccarat, because I think if we're looking at our collective lists. Uh, this is probably the one this, this, like, as much as I do believe it's, it's my ninth favorite movie from last year, uh, from 2020, but it's very me and none of you have seen it. So, uh, I'll, I will go ahead and eulogize Baccarat now. Baccarat is a Brazilian it's described as a neo-Western, and I, I can honestly kind of see why that description is made. And it centers around this town, in a small town, very, like, tiny town in rural Brazil uh, called Bacarau, which just means nightjar, like the bird, um, where the village elder dies, and suddenly strange shit starts happening. Like, they start seeing UFOs, the internet comes cutting in and out, and uh, gradually it becomes it, 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 people that people start realizing that somebody out there is actively trying to destroy the town and doing it through these weird kind of mind fucky ways. Um, this is an extreme slow burn, I find uh, the first hour or so, not a whole lot happens, but it starts building toward its climax at a really kind of clippy rate um once especially once you get start once you actually meet the antagonists and the end is one of the most cathartic endings i can't really say too much about it without spoiling a lot of it uh but it is absolutely terrific again just uh, just to the sheer fact that like it's it's a brazilian movie i it didn't get a lot of exposure but i would love it if more people saw it I I highly recommend Baccarat. Um, that's B A C U R A U. Uh, highly recommend people check it out because it deserves to be checked out. But it wasn't going further than eleven, I don't think. So, but, uh, yeah. Um, so that hurt. Uh, but <laughs> before we enter the top ten, I think we should catch people up on what movies are left. Um, may I do the honors? Go for it. Yeah, go oh. for it. Hell yeah, brother. Okay, so in alphabetical order, we have American Utopia, The Call, 
Gretel and Hansel, His House, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Kajillionaire, Mank, The Personal History of David Copperfield, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and Ride Your Wave. So, Mank. To kick off what I'm. Mank. To kick mank. Off, mank. To kick off what I'm mildly sure is going to be a bloodbath, mm-hmm. uh, Brandon picks number 10. Great. Okay. Oh, God. Um, okay, so from what I'm seeing here, I'd see they're going to be Gretel and Hansel, Ride Your Wave, or The Personal History of David Copperfield. I would pick Gretel, of, Gretel and Hansel out of those. That's yeah. what I, that's what me, I would be going forward to as well. That, that would have been my next yeah. pick. I was going to choose yeah. that one first, so yeah. Let's go with Gretel and Hansel. I am All so right. surprised that made it as far as it did, dude. I'm very happy it did. Um, Gretel and Hansel is absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Um, it's, I haven't seen Baccarat, so I can't really speak for it in terms of this, but I guess if what Stefan's saying about it is accurate, I would say that that's very akin to Gretel and Hansel because that one's also a very slow burn mm-hmm. where not a lot happens and it's slowly building up to this climax that's, I wouldn't. Maybe I wouldn't say cathartic, but like it really kicks you in the ass. Mm-hmm. Like it's a really intense climax. An- another another movie actually this year that I'm very surprised is only PG thirteen, um, because Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the last like twenty minutes are like actually really fucking violent, mm-hmm. and kind of gory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's directed by Oz Perkins, who is the son of Anthony Perkins, and also. He uh, directed a movie called Black Coat's Daughter, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, um, Sophia Lillis from It is great in this movie. Actually, like really great in this movie. I'm surprised the narration works so well, too. Mm. Kind of reminded me of a Terrence Malick movie a little bit, but I also really appreciated that. I don't know why it works so well for me, but fuck me, it works it so well. Work well. <laughs> also, for a movie that I'm pretty sure came out last January. Mm-hmm. It's probably yeah, the best January dump movie I've ever seen. <laughs> no, yeah, it it was dumped in January, and like, based on the poster, I could I kind of saw thought I saw why when it when it originally came out, but it's got to be maybe one of the biggest surprises of this year because you look at like kind of the I, I I don't know how to put it, but like very typical cliche January horror poster, for instance, and then you watch the movie and they're kind of completely different beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, this is a, I love this movie, especially by the end when it does start to get violent and mind fucky. It just absolutely blew my expectations away. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, I think 10 is a fantastic spot for it, but uh, yeah, if you're if you're done with it, um, shall we move on? We shall. Okay, uh, Chris, you have number nine. Oh God, here we go. <sighs> Since it's officially in the no, I don't think it's gonna happen. Oh fuck it! How you guys feeling about his house? I'd be okay with it. Yeah, okay. I hurt all it pains me, but okay. This hurts so much. Oh, that hurts so much. Nothing else, dude? Oh, Thank God it's in the top ten. Hell yeah, dude. It deserves it. 
Like, it's yeah. actually pretty close to my ranking on Letterboxd, too, because I think I have it at number seven. So, it's, I guess it's been a while since I've eulogized something, hasn't it? Uh, so, his house is about about a uh, South African, right? South Sudanese. South Sudanese uh, couple who come over from South Sudan uh, uh, to America to flee the war, the warring country that they uh, they have going on there. Uh, and they move in uh, to this, I guess, a refugee housing uh, area where they're, they're given a huge house, and they're constantly told, "Oh, your house is bigger than mine," but really, it's just this shitty, rundown hoodlum area with a bunch of you know people pissing on the walls, and it's not a very good neighborhood, but it's better than what they're living in the war times. Uh, and it's about this, I guess, being that has followed them from South Sudan and is now living inside their walls and is f- fucking with them mentally mm-hmm. and, uh, and making them look crazy. And they're you know terrified of this thing. And so it's really about, uh, they're trying to, uh, ease themselves into, you know, the, their new American society and trying to make it English, you know, the best English. of like, English society and try to make it, you know, just not, they don't want to go back to the original, their original home because well, one of them does th- sure doesn't they're just uh yeah the husband doesn't the woman wants to go back because she misses all her friends mm-hmm. and uh the, the life that she has there and she's terrified of the new stuff but mm-hmm. uh yeah it's, it's honestly it's a very it's a really good movie like yeah. i did not expect it to be as good as it was mm-hmm. when i watched it is it pretty sure is it a netflix original i can't remember it's a netflix original uh, I think I think it was originally a BBC movie. Yeah, um, it just, but it it really just delves into those like I don't, I don't, I don't know how to put it. Someone help me out here. Uh, uh refu- being the anxiety of being a refugee, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and be and finding yourself uh a stranger in a strange land. I, well, it's, I yeah, it's like the 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 struggle to be perfect. It not in a, in a in a way not not as a whole overall to be, thing, to be but perfect like, in the eyes of like the husband's struggle is a lot of trying to uh, like you said Brandon like appearing to look perfect in the eyes of the society who he desperately wants to accept him yeah whereas the wife to an extent kind of sees through all that and for for what it is which is you know of a coping mechanism I guess and mm-hmm. uh, wants to return to to South Sudan. But yeah, uh, I echo a lot of what Brandon says. This movie is fucking terrific in terms of like horror movie with a social message yeah. trademarked. Uh, I think this is probably the best one from last from 2020. Shokpei Dirisu uh, as the as the as the husband is terrific. Oh, so good. Uh, I'm really hoping we see more of him in the future because he is awesome. One thing I also wanted to mention that I really enjoyed and gave props to was the use of lighting in this movie mm-hmm. because it is, they do not waste a single bulb. Beautifully like, shot. Like gorgeous shot, very dark at times, but like it uses it very effectively. Mm-hmm. Like there's many shots of, of just an open door with nothing but blackness behind it. And it's just like silent and it's just like, mm-hmm. Oh fuck. Mm-hmm. what's going to happen you know is is something going to pop out is, and then it and then it'll cut away or something or, or whatever it is right and it, it they use the darkness and the, the small space because most of the movie is shot inside that tiny little house mm-hmm. uh but it's it's just it's so well done i definitely recommend it 
Uh, my pick at number eight. Good lord. That movie also actually officially closes out me knowing what's on the list now. <laughs> this will be fun. This will be great for my pick. Uh, so number eight. I want your opinion on number eight for Kajillionaire. Someone giving birth. Fuck. Do your breathing. Do your breathing. Because personally, I would prefer to cut the collar American Utopia, but I know those you. That's not real. That's not happening quite yet. I was gonna say I. I would be okay with cutting American Utopia because I feel like I'm not going to get it much further than this. Okay. And I'm I like would... completely okay with it at number eight. Okay. So I'd, I'll put American Utopia at number eight then. Chris, take your time with the eulogy because I know this was what your second or your favorite this, movie. This is my second favorite movie of the year. Okay. Um,. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm surprised I even got it in the top 10. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Um, so this will be, yes, yeah, so this is David Burns kind of big, like staged follow up, I guess, to stop making sense. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the, which we've talked about on the show. You can listen to the episode if you want. Um, and because Jonathan Demi unfortunately passed away, um, this film is like this filmed this is a filmed version of the American Utopia stage show that Byrne was doing on Broadway at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll continue to do so once COVID is over. Mm-hmm. Um but it was but this time around it was directed by Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. So we did get a Spike Lee movie on this fucking top ten list. You're welcome. <laughs> I guess I always forget it's directed by Spike Lee. <laughs> always <Yeah. laughs> that's awesome. It's so fucking awesome, but um, it's obviously it's not going to be for everybody. I'm I'm actually kind of surprised a fan liked it. I'm kind of surprised I liked it as much as I did too, because concert movies are not really my bag. But mm-hmm. this, I think, I think, yeah, I I I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, I think it's, it's almost more of a. It all, it also kind of feels like a Broadway play too. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like a piece of performance art. Mm-hmm. Um. Because in between the mu- in between each um, each song, you know, Byrne comes out and does some spoken word stuff. That's very close in tune to like stop like to something you'd hear from like true stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I find this movie to be a lot angrier than true stories. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie's extremely angry. I would even say at times this movie's com- not confused in an ideological sense, but just confused as to what the fuck is going on in the world. I don't necessarily think this movie is surprised that the things that are going on are going on. But I also think that this movie is extremely angry, frustrated, almost kind of exasperated. And yeah, just kind of like, how the fuck are we still doing this? Mm-hmm. I think some of the best moments in the movie for me, um, Burn and his troupe performing Hell You Tom About is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely riveting. I think it's like, what, the second or the second last number in the film? I don't remember, but my favorite scene in the movie for me, David Byrne introduces a song that he's going to do, and it's on the American Utopia, American Utopia album. And it's called everybody's coming to my house. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Byrne, 
And Burns starts it off by kind of talking about the song itself. And he said, his favorite rendition of the song is not the one that he did, but it's the one that he heard from some high school. Mm-hmm. He said they didn't change the they didn't change the rhythm, they didn't change the beats, they didn't even change the they didn't change the key it was in. Didn't change time signature, nothing like that. They didn't even yeah, they like they, nor did they even change tempo, pacing, like nothing was really changed. But there was something about that rendition that felt so earnest and genuine and kind and welcoming and open like with open arms and Burns said whenever he performs it it's a song that's very bitter and angry and disgruntled and frustrated and he kind of chalks it more or less down to generational differences yeah yeah um and you know while also kind of feeling deeply deeply ashamed of that um, like there, there's no part of him that's proud of this. So like he, he's genuinely upset because, you know, it's a generational thing, you know, which therefore means that burn himself is kind of a product of his own environment because, you know, you get right away what he is trying to say that he, he thinks, and like he, he does kind of, he, he caps it off by basically saying that like, the way that we treat immigrants in this country, in this like in the Western world, is absolutely fucking disgusting. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into everybody's coming to my house. Mm-hmm. Um, the the version that he heard at the high school actually is does play during the closing credits of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then immediately after he plays it, it's a very solemn song. Like I, I, I think it sounded sad when he performed it that time around, especially with the context of that monologue. But after that, he follows it up immediately with once in a lifetime, mm-hmm. which um, I'm so sorry. I'm going to be going so much into this, but um, in stop making sense and in the studio recording from the remain in light album and in the American utopia version, I noticed something each and every time, but each and every one that's very, that just tells that immediately picks up the tone of the song because the tone's different each and every time. Um, so in the studio Remain in Light version, it's almost kind of satirical in a way. Almost disingenuous because it's basically Byrne channeling the persona of a televangelist who doesn't really believe in what he's saying. He just wants to... He talked about how, like, you know, the way that, you know, fascist leaders will treat disenfranchised people and get them to join their cause is very similar to organized religion. And I think it's very similar to that where like, you know, Burns character as the televangelist is like trying to kind of get you to follow him. albeit very disingenuously, very cynically. Like it doesn't feel like he truly believes in what he's trying to say. Um, in the in the stop making sense rendition, it feels a lot more introspective, a lot more personal. Like he really does believe in a lot of the things he's saying, and he's genuinely upset with himself. Because at this point in stop making sense, we're also seeing Burn kind of coming to terms with his his own his own fame. Because the entire the entire movie is basically an allegory for like celebrity culture, how we treat artists, how we treat celebrities, and how celebrities are often. And a lot of the pressures that celebrities have to deal with, especially through the lens of the uh, God complex and through the lens of religion. 
in Stop Making Sense, it feels a lot more sad. It feels a lot more introspective. It feels a lot more like, like this is who I am. <laughs> this is how I've got here. This is where I like. This is this is my life. And in the American Utopia version, it's angry. It's so fucking angry because it's not about that anymore. Especially in the context of, and this is coming back to everybody's coming to my house. It's this context of. You know, how we treat immigrants, how we treat people of color, how we treat the LGBT community, how we treat indigenous people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, people who aren't straight white males <laughs> in Western society. And the thing that differentiates each and every one for me is the way that David Byrne delivers the line, you may say to yourself, my God, what have I done? Like I said, it's kind of disingenuous in the, in the Remain in Light version. In the Stop Making Sense version, it feels like he's looking at himself in a mirror and just screaming at himself. Mm. Like, what the fuck have I done? Why the fuck am I this person? Mm. And in American Utopia, it's, especially again with the context of everybody's coming to my house, it's him just staring at the audience and going, what the fuck have we done as a society? Mm. What the fuck is wrong with us? Because basically the general crux of Once in a Lifetime in my eyes to me is that it's a song about how we're so obsessed with our own material conditions and we're so obsessed with ourselves and, you know, making sure that the system and society runs the way it quote-unquote should and just maintaining the status quo that we don't actually stop to think about other people, we don't stop to think about the planet, we don't stop to think about you know, just our lives, period, and just we don't appreciate the opportunity that we have here on this planet to be decent human beings, to be conscientious of our decisions, to really give a shit about, what, about you know, life of any kind, for that matter. So, you know, to bring it back to, to, bring it back to American Utopia, it's it's basically this whole thing of like, we're so obsessed with ourselves and we're so obsessed with our own fucking bullshit ideologies and, you know, maintaining this capitalist status quo. Again, this is just my opinion that we don't give a fuck about the struggles of other people. We don't give a shit about other people's material conditions and we don't try to find a solution to help them. Instead, we just tear them down. You know, there's always this proclamation that America's this land of opportunity and yet through everybody's coming to my house and once in a lifetime, David Burns single-handedly just demolishes that idea and says it's not. We've never, we've never treated it like a land of opportunity. We proclaim that it is constantly and pervasively, but we never really treat it like it is. Uh, did I just cut out? No, that was Craig. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Craig's like, I'm fucking done listening to this asshole. Holy shit. <laughs> Enough already. Fuck. Break <laughs> the Philistine. Don't worry about him. Uh, the material conditions thing. So, like in Stop Making Sense, it's that same thing of like, you know, so obsessed with your own, you know, so obsessed with your own wealth and your own celebrity that you just forget about yourself completely. And, you know, the studio version is the studio version. Again, just that, like, Again, it, it comes off very disingenuously because, again, I don't necessarily think that that character that Byrne creates in the studio version really believes in the things that he's saying. But in a way, I think Byrne himself believes in them, but e either way. Yeah. Um, so that's my favorite part of American Utopia. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I gushed on for what was probably way too long, but it's it is it's my second favorite movie of the year. 
it's beautiful. It's so fucking good. I don't care if it's a concert movie. Go fuck yourself. It's so good. Yeah. I, I, I will. I don't have much to add because I think you've covered everything. Uh, but I will say that, like, without making the distinction between, like, uh, I guess, orche- orchestral score and original and, like, songs, um, this as well as this and Made in Abyss are my two favorite, like, movies this year solely in terms of music. Um, um, so- oh, one. One more thing I wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the best shot movies of the year, hands it's down. So beautiful. Um, I forget who shot this. Ellen Curris. Ah, uh, yes, I believe that she shot the Five Bloods as well. Correct. Uh. No, she didn't. Okay. She did not. But she did shoot. Oh, she did shoot Eternal Sunshine. Um, <laughs> fuck yeah. Oh yeah. Ellen Curtis does an amazing job. Um, the I Dance Like This sequence starts off with just the most beautiful angles. Oh my god. Like, I, I like one of those few moments where my jaw just dropped to the ground. Either way, I highly recommend this movie. I love this movie. I love this movie. I love this movie. I'm so sad it's only number eight, but I can't believe it even got into the top ten in the first place. It's Go tr- watch it. It's truly terrific. And yeah, I guess Chris said it all. Uh, Brandon, you're up for number seven. Uh, I want to choose the call. I would be okay with that. Okay. Out of, okay. Cause out of all the seven movies that are there, I think that's the one that you guys care the least about. Uh, not that you care, not, not, not that you don't care for it or not love it at all. I'm just saying of these seven. I mean, it was going to be my next cut, but like, yeah, that that's. I think that's fine. I think this is also one that like, like this is a fucking great movie. I also think that Chris likes it, like feels more strongly about it than I do. Although I do, I repeat, love it. But so Chris, why don't you uh, send off the call? I sent off American Utopia for like twenty minutes. I think you should take the call. That is true. Uh, so the call is a Korean, another Korean horror movie. Although I'd argue it's more of a thriller, but it's 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 riding that line. Uh, directed by Chris. Can you help me out with the director, Lee Chung Hyun? Yes, uh, that would be yeah, Lee Chung Hyun. This is his directorial debut, like yes. feature length. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and um, Park Shin Hai is back. Hi, welcome to the list again. Hello, we missed you. And um, Jun Jung So plays um the antagonist Young Suk, and she was also in Lee Chung Dong's Burning. Yep. Yep. There um, is a connection here. There sure is. So the plot of the movie is uh, Park Shin Hye, who, whose character's name is Kim, uh, is uh, Kim Seo Yun. Uh, she moves into her childhood house, her childhood home, and starts getting phone calls from somebody who's screaming for help because her mother's going to do something to her. And gradually, as this person keeps calling uh kim realizes or soyeon realizes this person is call is calling them from the same house in 1999 and this person turns out to be young uh oh young suk uh played by uh jun jung so and let's let's not say anything else more about the plot yes i think the less said about the plot the better this movie is fucking terrific. It's actually based on another movie, a Puerto Rican movie, if you can believe it, from 2011 called The Caller. Oh, good. Which 
I know literally nothing else about, but I don't know. Um, Trivia night fact, I guess. Funny you mentioned it's a remake because I, I wrote in my Letterboxd review that that this absolutely feels like one of those movies that would have gotten a shitty English language remake in 2005 because stupid Americans don't like to read. And it absolutely would. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. I, lo- I love that review. <laughs> that is an amazing review. Major, like, mainstream Asian <laughs> horror remake energy emanating from this one. Oh, yeah. Uh, which... I, I guess that's a positive. I don't know. This movie fucking rules. Uh, oh, yeah, it's, been, it's fucking amazing. Um, I, I would say it's my favorite horror movie of the year. Yeah. I I don't know. The only reason I would push back against that is like, I think it rides the line between horror and thriller. I kind of go back and forth. That's completely fair. But yeah. at the same time, I'm more, I'm more, so, I'm more so considered a horror movie. Yeah. It, it's definitely got like, like the, all the trappings of it. Like I, I don't blame yeah. you for that. Um, I think the, Park Shin Hit is terrific in it. I think the, the the star like the the star performance is Jun Jung Su as yeah. Young Suk, who is fucking terrific. Like she's oh, kind of over the top, unhinged, but in a way that actually feels extremely threatening. Oh yeah, no, like she doesn't feel like she's like super cartoonish or anything. Like she's she's riding that line like fine, but she does a great job at it. And mm-hmm. um, Park Shin Hye who between this and between this and hashtag alive, she's she's been great all fucking year, mm-hmm. and I'm really looking forward to seeing what she does next. Mm-hmm. Uh, special shout out to to the cinematography because mm-hmm. this is so fucking incredibly shot. That would be Joe Young Jik. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to see what Lee Chung Hoon does now. Oh yeah, I'm um, really excited to see what he does now because this was a hell of a debut. And like I said, uh, very excited for Park Shin Ye to keep doing what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And God, God damn, such a good movie. It's on Netflix. You have no excuse. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Chris, you are up for number six. I feel like being a spiteful asshole. <laughs> I know what he's going to pick. No, he's, he's going to kill me. Uh, Stefan, would you be okay with me cutting Ride Your Wave? Uh yeah, okay. I think I think this is probably as far as it's gonna go. Um, <laughs> um we all knew what I was originally thinking. <laughs> yep, yes, a hundred percent. Would have would I have been okay with that? I guess we'll never know now. Uh, Answer is no. Probably. I highly doubt but, it. <laughs> so, ride your wave. I talked about it a bit uh, earlier in the year. Um, it's the the new movie from Masaki Yuasa. Who's known for it's an it's the last anime movie of on this list. So the the demon has been exercised. Don't worry. Uh, it hit, USA is known for a very surreal, fantastical style. And while this movie does have a lot of fantastical elements, it's very restrained. But the animation is still like extremely charming and it, endearing. I'm not gonna go too much into the plot because I already talked about it in our one of our recap episodes. So go watch that. But this was easily my favorite animated movie of the year. It's I it's any based on my mood on any given day, it's anywhere from my second to fifth favorite movie of last year. I really want more people to see it because then they can tell me if I'm just overhyping this mildly diverting rom-com or if I'm or if I'm totally backed up. But 
I think sixth is a terrific spot for it. So it's my pick for number five. Mm-hmm. Yes. I know, I think I know what he's going to pick. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, Stefan, you can cut it. Let me let me let me think for a sec. Uh We're 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 talking about Kajillionaire, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because man, I really fucking like Kajillionaire. I'm I'm giving you the okay if that's really what you want to cut. Out of the movies that are left, this is the one that I put put it this way, boys. It's fucking top five right it's now. Fi- it's fifth place. Like these are fucking all good. All of them are good. Yeah, like I, I don't think there's any shame in Kajillionaire at fifth place. So no. I think if Chris is okay with it, that's what I'm gonna go with. Mm-hmm. This is another movie that we talked about in our recap. So Chris, unless you have something you want to bring up, I I'm not gonna go too much into it, but do you have anything um, you want to say about it? I talked about it on the recap already, so I don't need to say anything else. Still love the movie. It's great. Uh, yeah. I know you finally watched it, so. Yeah, I, 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 I finally got around to seeing it. Really fucking happy I did. Evan Rachel Good is. Evan good. Rachel Wood. Evan Rachel Wood, my God, is so, like, so janky, but so He's terrific. So Evan Rachel Good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. You are welcome. That is my contribution. Bringing it home as per usual. Um, But Evan Rachel Wood is so janky, but so fucking great as old Dolio. Uh, Watch the movie. It makes more sense in context. Or listen to our our recap. Uh, And her parents are a couple of the more strangleable characters in any movie this year, I think. And... You know, like like a few other movies this year, it definitely talks about um, the value of found family versus your actual biological family. And I think it does it in a way that, like like Chris mentioned, it's very hard to watch at times just because of the sheer amount of emotional neglect that old Dolio goes through. But I think by the end there, it is kind of cathartic if in a slightly bittersweet way. Um, But yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about Kajillionaire. Uh, hmm. I think fifth place is a oh, Brandon. You pick number four. Just know that there isn't really a, a wrong suggestion at this point. No. Uh, David Copperfield. And number four. Tell you what. Make it mank and you've got a deal. <laughs> <laughs> never thought never never thought I'd hear that sentence. Not mank. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm like if if, if you're okay with cutting uh, <laughs> cutting Manx to Fen, uh, I'm I'm down to cut Mank here. Yeah, I I love Mank. That's my second favorite movie of the year. I'm clearly at this point in time the only one who feels as strongly about it. And there is one movie which may or may not have been the one Brandon <laughs> suggested first that I like more than it. So I think Mank at number four is. Perfect. Sure. Let's go with Mank. So again, we kind of talked about it on the recap, so I won't. David, uh, David Fincher, uh, production. I've directed. He directed it. What the fuck am I talking about? Uh, it's actually based on a screenplay that his father, his late father, originally wrote. Um, centered around Herman J. Mankovich, 
uh, the screenwriter for Citizen Kane, and basically kind of a fantastic account of his life and times in Hollywood. And a lot of it is how capitalism essentially ruins Hollywood and how uh, the polit the massive corporate powers behind Hollywood use their influence to essentially fuck up the rest of the world. It, it, this movie makes a whole lot of sense if you view Mankiewicz as kind of a vessel with which to view what's supposed to be this glitzy and glamorous institution and just feel utterly revolted by it, even if it's shot like totally beautifully. Um, Amanda Seyfried is also really great in this. Mm -hmm. um, Charles Dance appears for a little bit and he's terrifying at times. Uh, yeah, um, I guess that's kind of all I had to say about Mank, Chris. I don't know if you wanted to add something. Basically, the only thing I want to add is I, I do really like the movie, too. My, my only thing with it is that it takes a long time for it to kind of get going for me. And that's kind of why I was I don't like it as much as Stefan does. Mm -hmm. I know it's kind of a pretty stupid reason to, but at the same time, like it reason. takes it takes a while. Like I don't think I was really getting into it until about the 45 minute mark. But either way, it is a really good movie. And I guess it's my turn to cut. Number three. And this will probably be like our last actual pick because our last pick will just be us fighting over one and two. But mm -hmm. Chris, you pick number three. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Knew it. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I I mean, kind of figured it was going to be top three, so. Yeah, mm -hmm. I figured that too as soon as I saw it on the list. I was like, yeah, that's not going anywhere. So Portrait of a Lady on Fire has been a subject of discussion, I guess, since our last year-end list when we speculated over whether or not it was actually a 2019 movie. Uh, but we pushed it to this year, came out this year. Uh, we finally saw it. Chris, you saw it in the nick of time. Mm -hmm. um, some would say the 11th hour. <laughs> some would say the 11th hour, literally. Uh, it is exactly as good as advertised. Um mm -hmm. It's one of the best shot movies of the year. It's extremely emotionally powerful. It's a, I guess I should talk about what it's about. It takes place in, I guess, roughly 18th or 17th century France. 17th, yeah. 18th, somewhere around there. Uh, and it centers around a painter who is, she is contracted by uh, a very wealthy family to paint a portrait of their daughter who, uh, who has thus far refused to get her portrait done and has uh, defaced other attempts, uh, driven other painters away. And she is contracted to paint her portrait, but also to hide the fact that she is painting her portrait. Um, and there's... That, that's all I'll give away. It's extremely... Like, this, you'll see this movie a lot, I guess, on, like, lists of top LGBT movies of the year. And there's a reason for that. It, it does touch on a lot of those themes uh, for reasons that I'm trying to keep kind of vague. It is, there's a couple scenes in it that are quite hard to watch, but still powerful. Basically a lot of things revolving to do with the uh, uh, Sophie, the, the maid. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, Chris, do you have anything to say about it? Any Anything that I can say about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I think has already kind of been said to death by not even just you, but also just like literally everybody on the internet. 
Mm-hmm. It's film Twitter's favorite movie. Uh, well, at least for at least for whenever it came out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because I remember there was like fucking film Twitter infighting over this and Parasite. It's like I like both. Yeah, they're both really fucking. Good. It's okay. <laughs> and we both have nice things. It's uh, it's a beautiful fucking movie. Oh my god. Um, the way that the film introduces the daughter whose name I can't remember off the top of my head for the life of me because it's almost midnight. Eloise. Uh, I think. Yes. The way that it introduces Heloise in is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Because it's all pretty much done visually. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that that scene alone, and that's not even like, that's like far from the best scene in the movie too. So that just tells you how good this movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend it. It's it's such a it's such a good movie. I like I said, there's not a whole lot I can really say about the acting is incredible, the directing is incredible. Um, this movie has a much more sensitive gaze to, you know, lesbians than a certain other uh, can darling that it happens to also be about lesbians and is French. Yeah, might have, might yeah. have a thing or two to do with uh, blue and directorial abuse. Yeah. Also, very, very, very over the top lengths. Yes, um, especially in the sequences of intercourse. Yeah. Um, a movie where the director seems to think that scissoring is just kind of a normal thing that happens. Yeah. In the lesbian community. Um, anyway, what we're saying is Portrait of a Lady on Fire is better than that movie. Yeah, we are saying that Portrait of a Lady on Fire is much better than that movie. Uh huh. Really, really powerful ending too. I won't say yes. what, but like, it's... oh, oh my god, the way the the final shot of the movie, fuck, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It, like I, I've said this a lot, but like I literally cannot say enough good things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is more than deserving of three. And give it enough time, maybe we change our minds and think it's number one. But for now, I think three is an incredible good, an incredible spot for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't matter whose turn it is. No. Because we just have two movies left. The Personal History of David Copperfield, and I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I know where Chris stands. These are me and Chris's favorite movies from last year. So so basically, you guys fight over it, and I sit and play with my toys. (laughs) All right. You guys will be arguing with the doctor. I'll be in the corner playing with a little fucking bead moving thing or whatever in the doctor's offices. <laughs> reading an old 2005 magazine of like yeah. Cosmopolitan just, or something. He's just reading Breeders Digest over there. Or <laughs> <laughs> Archie Mag. There's a Super Nintendo. He's playing Mario World. Man, if a fucking if a doctor's office had the Super Nintendo, man, that doctor's office would be lit. Yeah, my my doctor's my dentist's office. I think maybe it was my ear doctor when I was little had a Super Nintendo. Hell I yeah, dude. Mario World on it, quite literally. And now uh, they have an Xbox. <laughs> Boy, that's a downgrade. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so this is very hard. Yeah. Because I don't have a single bad thing to say about I'm thinking of ending things. Kind of like how I don't have a single bad thing to say about the personal history of David Copperfield. I also, like, here's the thing. The reason, the one I would have watched I'm thinking of ending things if Chris hadn't been like, no, watch other Kaufman first. And I was like, okay, Chris. And, so I I watched, kind of, and I was kind of right, too. And I watched uh, Eternal Sunshine, as well as mine, and Anomalisa. Both of which are fantastic movies. 
yeah, sp speaking of somebody who's seen it, I don't think it's a bad idea to check out Synecdoche, New York first, just so you kind of know what you're getting into. Because in a lot of respects, it's similar in the sense that they're both psychological torture. <laughs> um, and they both read like a suicide note. <laughs> Jesus. I'm not even wrong. You, you know what? You know what? I think that alone is enough to say that I think I'm thinking of ending things should be the best movie of, of course, 2020. I, okay, but here's like, out. honestly, this poetically correct. Like it's, it's just poetically <laughs> correct. point made. Here's my counterpoint. David Copperfield is so fucking fun. Come on. <laughs> it's so good. It's either, it's either a movie about one of the best magicians of all time Wait, what? Isn't it? Am I not thinking about David Copperfield? You, Isn't that who that is? talking about the book by, uh, by Charles Dickens. <laughs> oh, I don't know that then. <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you want from me, Chris? <laughs> Fuck. Is David Copperfield not a magician? No, no, no he is not. He is a... Who the fuck am I thinking of? You're thinking of, oh god. No, I need to prove this. Hold on not a minute. David, not David Blaine. There is a magician named David Copperfield, yeah. You. Fuck off, I was right. There is one named David Copperfield. You can eat my ass. I know because I went and saw him in person. I'm not stupid, I swear. Okay, this is not about him. <laughs> This is this is about the Charles Dickens. You see where I got confused, though, right? Because there's literally a person with the exact same name who does magic. Okay, okay, point taken, point taken. <laughs> wait, wait. I, it, it makes a lot of sense because in the year-end recap, like, you mentioned, but you have seen a David Copperfield show. And, like, it didn't really clue in at that point. No, I don't think anyone really like, knew that, like, Maybe maybe just saw like a production of like the the a stage production of the book, but now it kind of clicks into place, and I'm very happy. Okay. <laughs> well, You're thanks for uh, thanks for that, boys. I'll just I'll go retire now and fucking hang myself. Jesus. Oh, okay. So so now Brandon's suicidal. So I'm thinking of ending things as the best movie of the year. Listen, listen, <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. I'm I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> Listen, oh man! If if, if you repeat if you repeat your first point again, I automatically win. You're lucky I'm bad at debating. <laughs> that is not true, and you know it. Actually, it's it's not true at all. Stefan's like Stefan's one of the really smart. <laughs> no, not only that, he's also just one of the smartest people I've ever met. So, mm. I think this is like one of the closest we've had in terms of like ranking movies. I think this is close because last year. We kind of knew, I feel like we could have predicted it would have been Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tigers Not Afraid, and uh, Parasite. Um, I think we all kind of assumed that Parasite would be number one. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. it did win Best Picture. Yeah. Um, this was before it won Best Picture, though. Yeah, we, we were ahead of the curve. Oh, we, come on. We know, Chris. Come on. It's Parasite. Um, Neither of these movies are going to win Best Picture. That's for damn sure. No. Um, is it? <laughs> you guys are going to hate me with this. Is it weird that I'm not that I wouldn't watch the person I stream David Copperfield, but now I'm less interested because it's not about a magician. <laughs> I, I, I'll I'll that I'll I, I'm I'm a, I mean I'm a little disappointed, but I I have to tell a story now. Okay. I saw magic. 
I saw Magic Mike Double XL in the theater with my mom when I turned eighteen. I think you've you've mentioned this, maybe not on the yeah. maybe not on the pod, sure, maybe not sure. on the show. Mm. <laughs> and I was and like I enjoyed myself. It's a great movie. I love Magic Mike Double XL. We'll yeah. talk about it on the show Monday. Mm-hmm. But there was so we're leaving the theater. I see these theater ushers standing outside waiting for us to leave, and the doors already and the doors closed. I look at my mom and go, "Just follow my lead." Mm-hmm. I whip the door open. I almost hit one of them in the face. I whip the door open <laughs> and I just storm out and I just turn around, stop, look at my mom and yell, God damn it, mom. You told me this movie was about fucking magicians and I just left the building. <laughs> That's pretty good. Dude, your mom was been like, what the fuck? <laughs> and my mom, my mom ran up to me, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you should have seen the fucking look on their face. <laughs> <laughs> okay back to the thing just so i i don't just so like it actually feels like we thought this through chris why should i'm thinking of ending things be the number one movie beyond um, just the fact that suicide is depressing and 2020 is depressing beyond just those things um i i think it's a beautiful meditation on not just relationships, but also just a very common thing that I think we brought up is also just like, actually, I don't think we've really talked about the mistreatment of women or even the idealization of women yet really that much in this episode. Not, not this episode. No, no. Um, we talk about it a lot though, but I think that the way that this movie talks about the idealization of women really hits a lot for me. I think it also just the way that we idealize relationships in general is like this go-to place for happiness Mm -hmm. as this material thing that's going to bring us joy. It might probably help that I've went through a really bad breakup and I'm really happy I'm single now. So I'm Mm -hmm. probably seeing this from a very biased lens. Um, But I think that's incredibly brilliant. I think it's so beautifully directed. I think, um, I, th- I think it's a movie that's emotionally going to hit harder than something like the personal history of David Copperfield. Um, more just because like, I, I, I think, I think more as a default because surrealism is so entrenched in feelings and not like tangible thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think the performances across the board are incredible from uh, Jesse Plemons uh, Tony Collette, David Thewlis, and of course the star of the movie, Jesse Buckley, who is phenomenal in it, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Coffin's screenplay is brilliant. Um, there's a lot of that. Uh, I, I'm also at a directing level. Stylistically, it feels like Kaufman by way of David Lynch. Yes, in a lot of which ways. Which I absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. Um, I And yeah, no, I, I just think it's this really beautiful movie that I think perfectly sums up everything that Kaufman's been trying to say his entire career. Mm-hmm. I and I mean, at the rate things are going, who knows if he'll direct something ever again? This this might be his final film. He does seem to take a while between movies, so well that and also it's really hard for him to get funding now. Is it why? Yeah. Why is it? Is it because Synecdoche, New York, didn't do well, and neither well, did Anomalisa, as far as I know? Yeah, Synecdoche, New York bombed. Anomalisa really didn't do well. Mm. Um, Damn, really. Yeah, no, Anomalisa like tanked. Um, also, so Anom- good, though. also, Anomalisa was uh, most was partly 
uh, was partly funded through crowdfunding. Really? Yeah. Um, wow, that's interesting, actually. Well, I, I'm pretty sure it was partly done through crowdfunding, and I'm pretty, pretty sure well I'll have to double check my facts on that. But I and I also know that part of it was produced by um, Dan Harmon. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, but either way, like, yeah, no, I, I I think it's really hard for Kaufman to get funding, and I think that's another part of it too. Is like, and I know I had read somewhere that I'm pretty sure he thinks this might be it for him, and he's pretty okay with it right now. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think, uh, and and this isn't a commentary on the movie's quality at all, but like, I could see a lot of people not really checking it out on Netflix just because it does get so weird. Not even just the end, but even throughout, it's just got such an anxious feel to it that mm-hmm. I, I think it's fair to say, and I'm not using this as an argument against it, but it's not the most accessible movie to a general Netflix audience. Yeah. Um, but, I think to to at least count, tr- uh, to try to counter that at least a little, um, not not by attacking the movie itself, but just by singing the praises of David Copperfield, the way that it tells kind of David's story and his, uh, his his quest to like find his place in the world, and how the different backgrounds of everybody he meets the different class backgrounds the different circumstances it really is which is weird for armando iannucci because like at least from what i know his movies tend to be kind of dark or satirical um and there are some darker elements to david copperfield but it is a movie that in a large part runs on empathy um but also like in terms of sheer enjoyment factor like this is probably the most entertaining movie of the year. Is that enough for me to necessarily say that it should take number one? I don't think that I can mount as good an argument for that. Maybe because I don't feel as strongly about David Copperfield as I did last year about something like a parasite or a tigers are not afraid. So I'm willing to, much as it is kind of annoying that Chris gets two number straight number ones of in both years. <laughs> I thought Parasite... Oh, no, Tigers Are Not Afraid was your number one. Yeah, Tigers Are Not Afraid was my number one. But I'm not actually pissed off about it, but, like... <laughs> but, like, part of me is like, come on! <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, anything I feel, I haven't gotten anything. <laughs> True enough. Hey, you did get number two last year, Brandon. Yeah, that's I. Uh, I let I let Tigers are not afraid take third. So once upon a time in Hollywood could have second. That's right. Um. So well, part of me is like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, I think I kind of have to concede that I'm thinking of ending things is the number one movie of 2020. Let's lock it in. Why don't we? And then we'll count down the top 20. And- Okay, uh, let's start from 20, and then we'll just each take turns naming naming them off as we get to number one. So I will go me, Brandon, Chris again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. number, tw- number 20, Borat's subsequent movie film delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make-benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. Man, I wish I had gotten to say that. Uh, 19, Possessor. Uh, number 18, Zombie for Sale. 17, Driveways. 16, Emma. Uh, number 15, Ma Rady's Black Bottom. 
14, never, rarely, sometimes, always. 13, bad education. Number 12, Colorado Space. Number 11, Baccarat. 10, Gwendolyn Hansel. Number 9, His House. Number 8, American Utopia. 7, The Call. Number 6, Ride Your Wave. Number 5, Kajillionaire. Number 4, Mank. 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 <laughs> Whatever cranks your mank. Look, 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 look. Mank might not be number one of this year, but it's definitely got the funniest title out of from. Hell yeah, dude. At least yeah. agree on that. All right, Chris. Um, number three, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Number two, The Personal History of David Copperfield. And number one, the best movie of 2020, and very poetic. I'm thinking of ending things. Woo! We did it! Yay! What a shit show! I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of ending things. <laughs> I am also. I, I too am thinking of anything. Me, me three. Me three. Did you guys get the rope yet? Oh, I, always, baby. The real question is: Is I'm thinking of anything's good enough to take the title of best movie sequel to K has ever reviewed on one of these lists? The real question is: uh, Does it top last year's Parasite? Oh, that's a tough one, dude. Well, you haven't even watched the movie, so shut up. <laughs> I think your vote goes to Parasite kind of by default. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm playing devil's advocate, you fucks. <laughs> <laughs> of course I haven't seen it yet. I need to watch it first, but then I can make a fucking decision. But yeah, like it's still going to be a tough fucking choice. Pretty easy for me, honestly. I, 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 say, I, th- I think it's still Parasite. I think it's still Parasite, too. Yeah, that's not a slight time thinking of ending things. It's just, it's, just, it's just really hard to top Parasite. It really is. It's going to be hard to top that for a while, I think, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's going to take something real special. Like, what what, what, what do we have this year that we're, we can look forward to coming out? I, I bet we haven't even heard about it yet. Well, that was a shitload of fun. Yeah. Um, Gut-wrenching and painful, but fun. Yeah. Oh, hi. It's me again, here to awkwardly break your immersion. Uh, we had originally planned to record a very special outro for this episode. It kind of fell through. And here we are. So it's all up to little old me. Um, As always, we are Sequel Decay. You can find the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, basically anywhere you can find a podcast. You can find our social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find our individual Twitter accounts uh, in the description down below. You can also find me and Chris's letterboxed accounts, as well as our uh, 2020 lists, our respective lists. Uh, We have also included links uh, for the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as the Mi'kmaq Livelihood Fisheries that we highly encourage you to uh, check out and donate to if you would like. Um, But yeah, we will be back next week. And if you're listening to this when it comes out, next week would be uh, January 29th. We will be back with our first review of the year. Yeah. Take care, everyone.